Welcome to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight, the podcast where we uncover the secrets of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and visionaries who've used public speaking to skyrocket their businesses and their bottom line. Get ready for captivating stories, valuable insights, and practical wisdom from the trailblazers who've mastered the art of the stage. I'm your host, Kelly O'Hara, and I'm thrilled to bring their experiences and expertise directly to you. Let's get started. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. It's the podcast where we dive deep into the world of public speaking and uncover how it can be the rocket fuel for your professional and business success. Today, we're joined by a very, very special guest who embodies the art of storytelling and the power of effective communication. He's just not the master in the realm of public speaking, but a mentor who transforms ordinary speakers into captivating storytellers. Prepare now to be inspired by Mike Ulmer, a maestro of narratives and a veteran of over 10,000 interviews. Mike's mission is singular yet profound, to help you discover and perfect the story you need to tell every day. Not just any story, but one that resonates in every aspect of your life, from your speeches to your social media, your books, podcasts, and even those brief elevator encounters. As an accomplished author and a guiding light for aspiring speakers, Mike doesn't just walk the talk, he helps others do the same. Through his website, mikeolmer.com, and his active presence on platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, he's been a beacon for those seeking to enhance their speaking prowess. Today, he's here to share his insights, experiences, and perhaps to help us uncover the story we're meant to tell. So without further ado, let's welcome Mike Ulmer to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. Oh, Kelly, thank you. I, I, I'd love to live up to that to that uh, that introduction. Thank you so much. So, Mike, I always love to start the interview with someone's journey, and I'd love to hear about the pivotal moments that kind of led you to become the speaker that you are today, but even more important, the storytelling expert that you are. Well, there's kind of true kind of pivotal pivotal moments. One, I was a teenager and I was sort of a jag off. I, you know, I was an entitled goofball who had a, who had parents who loved me, but it's not a great sort of family situation. And I get a letter and said, "You've been accepted into Lambton College, which is the college in the little town Sarnia where I was." And I thought, "Well, that's great. I've I didn't apply to Lambton College." And I said to my mother, I said, Mom, what is this? I got a letter from Lampton College. And she said, uh, um, I said, did you forge my application into Lampton College? Journalism? And she said, well, I had to do something to get you out of the house. (laughs) So that was a big turning point. So I went to Lampton College and I failed spectacularly. I had a great time, but I didn't have any skin in the game. It wasn't my decision, right? And that summer, I went out west to sort of find myself. It's what you do. And I ended up at an oil exploration camp. And they were lowering. They have this they have dynamite. If, Kelly, if there's one thing you need to know about me is that God did not put me on this earth to play with dynamite. Okay? <laughs> I'm a casualty waiting to happen. Okay? So we're out west. And this big, long line up in the tree line, this big, long helicopter drags this great big long metal basket it's full of sandbags and when we blow the hole in the ground we fill it up with sandbags so the moose don't break the legs and we're looking for oil and we set little things to stick in the ground so we can see it's like sonar 
So one day they say, move this dynamite, Mike. And I say, I'm not going to move that dynamite. It's volatile. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And they say, well, okay, well, they're about to drop some of the sandbags over where you do that. So I go over the hill and I see that the big metal basket is going to hit the dynamite and I'm going to be killed. And the guy above me is going to be killed. The only chance I have is to grab the basket, but he doesn't know I'm there. He's above the tree line. So I'm smacking in the trees. I'm grabbing this big basket. It's about four squeeze fair square rather. And I'm knocking him getting up. I finally get the thing down and I don't know why, but I look up and at that moment, a 50 pound cast iron, which connects the, the long line from the helicopter to the basket comes up and I step back like that. And it comes and it takes off my fingernail and it's, dents in my steel toed boot and Kelly that thing is still shaking on the ground and I'm saying to myself self we're going to make some changes here (laughs) I quit that day (laughs) I came back to Sarnia I went right back into Lambton College and this time I passed because this time I had skin in the game and I worked my way up all through the chain all little newspapers the first newspaper I worked at had 3,000 people just nothing. I was there for seven years learning the craft. You always need somewhere to be bad at. And I was bad there. <laughs> and then I worked my way all, all the way through. And uh, and then uh, I finally got to where I wanted to. And then I got cancer. And I, that's, and, and I had the best form of cancer, the kind that's easy, the most easily treated. But I found myself a lot of times in rooms with kids, not not kids. We'd see kids in the cancer ward sometimes, and that would just break your heart. And when you're in a cancer ward, there's just no bullshit at all. People, you, you can ask someone an honest question. They'll give you an honest answer. And I developed the ability to ask any question with compassion and love in my heart towards that person. I didn't have it before I got sick, but I always had it afterwards. And so I went to it, and this made me really different. And so I did really well in, 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 in business. I went all the way up to the, the number one sports newspaper in, in the, in the country and the Toronto sun. I was a columnist. I had the best job at the best paper. I was traveling around the world and that's when I blew it up because I didn't know that I had bipolar illness. And so when you have bipolar illness, you, you present to the doctor when you're really, really sad. And it's like they're taking, they're, they're blowing up your balloon to get your spirits up because you're presenting when you're sad. But of course, when you become manic, that balloon just shoots around everywhere and just leaves a lot of damage in its wake. So I got arrested, Kelly. Look, look at me. Do I look like a guy who got arrested? I got arrested after a fight on an airplane where I, I kind of slapped a guy. And I'm, everyone says he was a terrible guy. He deserved it. No one deserves it. Biggest mistake of my life. But I was ill. I didn't know. And to be a sports writer, that would have been the worst life for me because I would have been going from time zone to time zone. Everything would have been irregular. I would have been working late nights. It wouldn't have been a fit for me. So that thing that I wanted more than anything else, I got it. And then I blew it up. And then I I went to work. I was very lucky. I went to work for uh, the people that own the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team and the Raptors basketball team. I worked there for seven years. And then I left there. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And then I started going to Business Networking International, you know, BNI, Business uh-huh. Networking International, very nice organization. I didn't even know there were people in business. I had no idea there was this subculture of people. They were living on their wits. They were working their asses off and they had no guarantee of anything. I, I became so impressed with them. And, I, and what I learned though, is that none of them knew their stories. 
and they had great stories. I, I was sitting at one time with a gentleman and over five minutes, we, we talked about the fact that, that um, when he was a kid, he always felt financially insecure. He didn't know why the kids that were, had jobs like his parents did, had more stuff and it bothered him. So he became really, really entrepreneurial. And he, 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 you know, he soul popped at construction sites. He had three paper routes. He was that guy. And then when he got into school, he took finance because, again, that guy. And then he became a, got a job uh, and then moved all the way up the ranks in financial planning. He wanted to make sure that the, that, that shitty feeling that he had as a kid, other kids, other people avoided that feeling to have financial security because he knew what it was like not to have that feeling. We got that conversation about seven minutes and I said, wow, that's a really powerful story. And I realized at that time that nobody knew their stories and that the th stories we thought we knew weren't really our stories at all. So I, I tried to figure out the best way of doing it and I've settled upon helping people write their books. So I've done, I've written about 20 of them and I've written a lot with people in which I'm kind of like a ghostwriter, except ghostwriters go and they go and they, they, they research you and they write a book in your name. If I work on a book with you, you're going to hate me because I'm never going to let you go until I find what I want. <laughs> I'm going to torment you. And, but we're going to have a book that's so great because it takes somebody out. So I did this book, if I may with a great guy named Ron Foxcroft, a great entrepreneur. He invented that really loud whistle and he bought a company, a transport company called Fluke Transport. And his slogan is, if it's on time, it's a fluke, right? <laughs> Brilliant slogan, right? Great guy. We got this book. It's a fantastic book. It's right over here. I said, how come you don't drink? And he said, I don't drink because my dad beat me all the time. My dad was a great dad. But he, he was a guy that said, woulda, coulda, shoulda all the time. And I decided I was never going to be that guy. I was never going to drink. And I was never, ever going to say woulda, coulda, shoulda. And that's why I don't drink. That's a piece of information he would have never given to me voluntarily. But because I had the ability to ask that I really believe came to me later in life after I got sick, he shared it with me. And the book became infinitely better. Because how many of us have stories, you know, similar to that, where the stuff that our parents told us was actually the wrong stuff. They're, the stuff they modeled to us was actually the wrong stuff. And so that book stopped being a book about entrepreneurship and started being something bigger. And it only came after that question. So that's why I love, I live for, to tell you the truth, Kelly, I don't want to write any more books. I'll write them, but <laughs> I've, written, I've written 20 of them. But that moment of connection with you and with those guys and those women, I do that all day. You can tell this is your passion. And one of the things I love about that, that happens often in this show and clearly right here is that if you listen to someone's story and you hear the trajectory of where they started and what and how each piece was the piece you needed to get to the next thing. Yes. And you are a born journalist. I mean, it, you know, I always think that life is really all in the questions. It's not in the answers. The answers oh, are in the questions, but you got to so ask smart. the questions. And I so relate to that. I, I, you know, at one point I was really dedicated to becoming a, a, a therapist, um, uh, a psychologist. It really was important. I worked at UCLA Pediatric oh. um, 
pediatric unit for kids who are dying. And you're right, it's so real. The questions are so real. And it sounds like if each step that you had, you really developed the thing that was needed next to get to this place of, I, I, I know you a little bit now, and there's such a passion in how you speak about storytelling. There's really nothing more important, is there, than how you tell well, your story and that you get to it. It's such a, you know, and I've heard the expression, I told you that so I can tell you this, which is a great sort of comics explanation. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's because we're built that way. Because if I have to tell you, let's say we're in the, we're in the cave. So back up for a second. We have about 65,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. And we make about 25,000 decisions a day. Right. And so, of course, we can't have a, a turnstile where each one goes one, 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 one. We have to be able to process them en masse. So we have to be able to, to take a lot of information and make a lot of judgments. So if you and I, Kelly, are in the cave, and I say to you, Kelly, go out the cave, turn left, you're going to see a big stone, find a smaller stone, take a stone off it, sharpen it against that, okay? Then take a reed over there and stick it against the reed like that, and then come back and see me. So two things are happening. The first thing is you are able to process information and retain it. There are no, there's nothing blocking you. You know you have to have this information. So it just flies in there into your judgment system, right? And because we had to have that. That's the reason why 99% of the species that used to live on Earth no longer do, because they couldn't do that, right? You couldn't take that story and synthesize it into action. You can't tell a bear to do that, right? The other thing is when you come back, I have to figure out what you're going to do with that spear. I have to look at your, your complexion, your position the tone of your voice, the carriage of yourself. I have to guess what's happened earlier today. So those things also have to go straight into our brain. There are no stop, stop signs there. So the ability to take information, the ability to make impressions, to draw a conclusion for those impressions, they just fly in. So I can tell you something, but if you observe something, it's infinitely more, more powerful. So when I tell you a story, it doesn't even have to be about me. I'll tell you. May I tell you one? Sure. Okay. So there's the story was that two sales agents in, in the turn of the century, Britain needed to find out how they were going to sell more shoes. So they sent two guys, unbeknownst to each other, to India. One was from Badish Shoes. Another was from another, another company. And both, they didn't know of each other's company. Both sent wires back. And the first guy said, no prospects here. Nobody wears shoes. And the second guy said, unlimited prospects here. Nobody wears shoes. Interesting. So when I tell you that story, it's a great story. But it also tells you that I get it, that I value the values that are upheld in that story. Hustle, imagination, seeing things in a different way. Just by telling you that story and saying, I get that because I tell that story, right? I've left an impression on you that I understand those very important qualities. So if I tell you a story that's similar, not even about somebody else, but about me, and you look at that story, and I'm not saying I'm a good son, but I say, you know, I, over the course of 20 years, my mom needed me. I must have visited her 50 times up in Ottawa, which I did. Well, you, you're making an assumption. I'm not saying I'm a good son, but you're going, you're a good son. If I told you I was a good son, you'd believe me to a two. If you, if I told you something about myself and you observed that I was a good son, you'd believe me to attend. And that's why story is so important because there's no defense. There is no resistance for a great story. It goes right into our belief center. 
And that's why everything is in stories, songs, Bible, parables, everything in civilization has been written down for a reason, because when it's written down, it exists. And when it exists, it can pass right into our hearts and our minds. So this tells you some of the key elements that you have to keep in mind when you're doing stories. Could you could you kind of share with us some effective storytelling techniques that speakers can use to captivate their audience? Do you have some suggestions about that, some recommendations? I do. I do. I'm just going to open my drape for a second, Kelly. I'm sorry. My light went out. Okay. <laughs> All right. There we go. That's better. You know, those high-tech problems, I guess. That's high-tech problems. Well, here's what I would say. Every story, so this applies for books and it applies for stories. There's a template for every story. And I'll, I'll describe it in book terms. But the first thing is a proposition, right? It has to be something that's really powerful. It has to be somewhat counterintuitive. It should be the name of your book or your speech. And it should be your manifesto. So... I'll give you an example. There's a woman, brilliant woman named Annie Duke. Her book is called Quit. You I know Annie her. Duke's book, right? I know her personally. Do you really? I do. I used to be in I, the gaming industry. I love it. Oh, I see. She's I love Annie Duke. Yeah. Well, her right. book, and she asked the rhetorical question, which is so brilliant. If you're a summiteer, what's your goal? And I'll ask you that question. If you're a summiteer, what's your goal? A summiteer? Someone who climbs mountains. Oh, <laughs> what's your goal to get to the top of the mountain? No, sweetie. It's Survive. to get back from the top of the mountain. Oh. <laughs> Survive. Yeah. And, and so we often do because we, we know these stories that people never give up. We often don't give up when we really should give up. <laughs> you know, if your oxygen is low and you're at the near the top of a summit and you're missed, missed, you've missed all the benchmarks, right? There are a lot of corpses up there from people who made that decision, right? They're worried more about getting there than getting back. So quit. Quitting is actually often, perhaps more often than not, a great idea is a brilliant proposition. It's like the four-hour work week. What a brilliant proposition, right? So, and what's something you can use to really help yourself? Because there's a lot of times you can go back and go, well, I could have quit. So here's the thing. You know Annie is, is a, was a professional poker player. Mm -hmm. Who better to talk about when you should quit than a professional poker player? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of it is knowing when to get up, when to stay out of the hand, when to today's not your day. Yeah, absolutely. And, the one to teach that. Brilliant. So that's a brilliant backstory. How can you not read a book by any Duke about how quitting? And then she has lots of stats and it's really smart. And it does. It's smart. It's counterintuitive because we're used to just knocking our head against it because every success story always has the guy burning down his credit card and finally getting through at the end. But most of the time, that's, that's the fastest way to ruination. So, so quit when quit more, you know, quit more, quit often. You'll be the better for it. Great proposition. Used to be a professional poker player. Great backstory. And then she would have great advice. Great advice. There's a book called 5,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals, right? And the guy who did it was, uh, the guy who wrote it, uh, was a professional uh, timekeeper. He was a guy, he was an efficiency expert. Right. And he figured out, wow, if you take 80 and do the math, we only live about 5,000 weeks. And so what are you going to do with your 5,000 weeks when you realize that when you run out, you're done? Right. How will we live our lives with our eye to the end, not to the beginning? Right. What changes will we make? That's a great proposition. 
It is it's a great it really proposition. Puts things into perspective, doesn't it? And he was a guy, as I say, who was an efficiency expert. Who would know better the value of time than an efficiency expert? And so he also spoke about lots and lots of techniques, small techniques that he had. So there's three essential elements. There's the proposition, that thing, the four-hour work week. Who wouldn't want the four-hour work week? Who would not look at the, a book called The Four-Hour Work Week? What a spectacular idea, right? Yeah. There, there's the backstory that led that person to that because every event of that makes the, the conclusion seem preordained, right? It just makes sense that the guy that I talked to ended up being a financial analyst, helping people avoid that feeling of financial insecurity. It just makes so much sense now when you look back on it. Yeah. And that's how our lives are, right? There's a sequence to it. And then the last thing, so you have the proposition, and then you have the backstory that led you to the proposition, and then the advice. If you can find those three things, sometimes there's more advice, sometimes there's more backstory, then you have the most important thing. You have a conclusion. And I think most people that want to write books mistake a story for a conclusion. A story amuses us for a couple of seconds. It can maybe entrance us for a minute. A conclusion can benefit you for your whole life. I'm not in the story business. I'm in the conclusion business. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, it's funny. I was going to ask you, what are the common mistakes that you see people making in storytelling? And that's one of them, that they don't have the right conclusion. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. And what other things do you think that people ought to sidestep or that that you feel is just, you know, other essential elements? I mean, gosh, you've given us so many good tips here, but, you know, other things that you see people do when they get on stage, even in their presentation of that story, anything you can highlight there that, you know, might head people from <laughs> heading off the cliff? Well, one of something that you and I mentioned when we were talking off camera, and that is, I can I access these things. I told you something that was very personal, and I think vulnerability is super, super, super essential because it, there's a quid pro quo with vulnerability. If 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 I open my heart up to you and 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 share something that's important to me sincerely and openly and in 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 the right spirit, we reciprocate. It's a it's it's a real world of reciprocation, but it's really easy to trot out. Then this happened to me, and then that happened to me, and then this happened to me. It's really easy to monetize your misfortune. We were and I don't that. like that. I don't like that because when you do it, when you do it, people know it. When they're being played, as you put it, people know it. And they, you can never get that credibility back. You can never be honest and vulnerable with those people again. So vulnerability is like 90% 90, 90 of it. But intent is the 10% that makes a difference. Because if you're not sincere, and if it's a tactic, then it's worse than if you didn't get out of bed at all. So true. It's so true. If you're milking the audience... And it becomes a crybaby story. That's not going to work. No, it's, nobody wants to. We, we can all hear that. We've all got yeah. those stories, right? Yeah, we, Don't yeah, we do. Don't, we do. Know when to get off the stage. Know when. That's a good one. <laughs> know when you've made the point and everything else is extra. And, and you know, and again, 
you know, I would ask you about engaging the audience. How important is their engagement in storytelling and and the strategies that keep them engaged? But one for sure is to know, stop now. You've told the story and everything else is manipulation or you've just gone on too long and you'll lose them. You know, how do you know when the right time is to stop? It's when you create that conclusion. But, you know, how would you phrase that? Well, what's the sermon rule, right? The, the the great rule of the sermon. Tell tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and just then tell them what you just told them. And and I think once you perform those three steps, to me, it doesn't get any better. Everything works in threes, right? Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. And how do you see this? I mean, I love it that you love entrepreneurs. That's my favorite group too. I'm one of those. And so I appreciate those courageous people. I really That's do too. How I look at them, right? They, they are the people with courage that say, listen, I don't know exactly how this all is going to work, but I see it. I got a vision and I'm willing to work hard and I'll figure it out. That's right. Um, there are stages to entrepreneurship. And someday you're looking for that book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Because you don't have four hours, but no. I can appreciate that. But tell me how this, how you've seen this play out in the corporate environment. How do you deal with corporations to use storytelling to make them more interesting and more personal? There's been a real move towards uh, storytelling, right? And 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 that's that's not new. I don't think. Um, sorry, that just popped out of my mind. What's the story? Story? Story finding book. Who's the story? Um, Forgive me. What's his name? Story. You know the guy. Telling me. Uh, I know we're both. Yeah, his whole. I know the guy. Okay, we'll, we'll pretend we both know the guy. Okay. And that's that. I, I I get that. The one thing that I disagree on is this, and a fundamental disagreement between him and I, whoever this poor guy is that right now is going. Someone's trying to remember my name. Okay. <laughs> Anonymously. Okay. Yes is that he believes that the story should be tailored for the the, the desired audience the the, the audience he he should he you should manipulate your story better to be accessible and available to the people that you want to impress right i don't believe that i think your story is your story and if that story those events help you sell tires or help you sell zeppelins it's the same thing and so I don't believe in writing to your audience. I believe that there is a powerful, true story that you've applied to your life. And if you'd apply it to your life, your listener is going to believe you. You're, you, you're, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? <laughs> and so, so if that's your story, that's your story. And because really, when you say I'm buying Tony Robbins, we're really buying the values of Tony Robbins. We're value, buying a set of values because we can't, we can't know. We're back in the cage and we have so few clues. Remember I talked about your countenance, the way you stand, your complexion. When you come back with the spear, we don't know. So we're trying to figure out with such little information whether we should trust somebody. And I really believe that the issue of trust goes back to the cave. I think the reason that we have to be right when we, you've never been in an argument sometimes and you have to be right. I think we do that because we think somewhere deep inside that if we're wrong, we're dead. Right. Yeah. That's extraordinarily yeah. that there's no other reason why we will resist all logic and all evidence to the contrary, as Dale Carnegie pointed out in 1934. Right. 
because we think somewhere inside we think we're going to die if we if we make the wrong decision that's what's riding on us when we appraise a person or a presentation or a speech to us somewhere in there if we make the wrong decision about whether we buy from this person we're really worried about something terrible happening to us something like death so that's why we work so closely to take all those other clues in so when you watch someone and 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 know that there's a sincerity to them and and that they honestly really believe and sense that in a way that passes words it's extremely attractive it's extremely powerful and i think corporations are getting that now more than ever i agree with you it's it's be real up there tell your story and maybe you won't be for everybody but you'll be for your people your people will see you your tribe will find you your tribe will find you exactly yep. sometimes yep. it's not for everybody but the real people that are there that are yours they'll be yours they'll yep. feel you they'll 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 heal you they'll hear you let's try and say that five times Mike, I got to tell you, and I knew that it would not feel like there was enough time because there's so much here. I I just want to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this show and your perspective on speaking about story value. It's, it's not just in educational, it's really encouraging. And I thank you for being here. Oh, I'm such a thank you for having me. Brooks was the guy's name. Brooks. <laughs> Brooks. <laughs> Tonight, both of us will stand up and we'll go right in the middle of the night. We'll jump up and go, Brooks. That's wild. <laughs> I knew we'd get there. That's happening more often these days. I'm just going to own that. It's happening more you. often. There's like a, you know, a two and a half minute pause before the name drops back in. I I'm just want you. to tell everybody out there, for those of you who are, you know, looking to delve deeper into Mike's ex, uh, expertise on this, you got to visit him on MikeUlner.com. And for your guide that'll really revolutionize your writing, check out Mike's book. It's called Show and Tell Writing, a great short book on how to write a great short book, which like so many good things, you can find it on Amazon. It's really a must read for anyone aspiring to master the craft of really concise and impactful writing. So as we close today's episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight, I'm your host, Kelly O'Hara, and I'm really thanking all of you for tuning in. And please know that your engagement and feedback just means the world to us. So please share this episode, leave some comments and help us spread, you know, what I think is really valuable content and stories and the real time perspective that we're wanting to share with you. We're here to provide you with the knowledge and inspiration that you really need to skyrocket your business, both professionally for you and for your business. So I'll see you next time where we'll continue to unlock the secrets to speaking success. Everybody have a great day. thank you for joining us on this episode of the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive once again into the remarkable stories and insights of our incredible guests. Their experiences and wisdom are not just meant to inspire you, but to provide you with actionable steps to take on your own path to success. Remember, you have a story to tell and your voice has the power to transform your business and make lasting impact. If you found value in today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an empowering conversation. 
We'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share the show with your friends, colleagues, and your fellow visionaries. Until next time, keep speaking, keep growing, and keep reaching to make your difference. This is Kelly O'Hara, signing off from the Six Figure Speaker Spotlight. Thank you.